You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 191. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I am watching deer in my backyard eat corn. Now, I threw a bunch of corn out there, and I'm really hoping that there's enough because the little baby came running around, and it's super adorable. Um, It's cold. It's rainy. It's like 40s and wet a lot, and there may or may not be some corn for him now, and it's there'll be more corn for him later, but it's been very interesting watching their coats get thicker and definitely can tell that they're more hungry now than they were in the summer when there was an abundance of leaves. And so it's just really interesting watching nature through my window, this forest go from thriving and alive to very much hibernating. Um, sunshine comes in my windows now that didn't used to because of all the leaves and I had to get curtains and <laughs> it's just very interesting. Um, having, you know, just it's like Discovery Channel outside of my window. I got raccoons that come around at night and eat the bird seed and I got to take the bird feeder down and you know possums and I haven't seen the rabbit in a little while I uh, haven't seen the fox in a little while um I've not seen the possum in a little while the chipmunks and squirrels galore and so it's been adorable watching this little um doe um this little this little doe uh, raised this fawn there used to be two I don't know where the other one went but definitely there's there's still one and so I just tell you all of this because it's happening right now as I look outside my window and depending on when you listen to this episode it could be summer again for all I know and let's get into our topic for today because I think I've painted a picture of what I'm experiencing just enough to get you guys into this episode so um one of the things I've got a lot I want to talk about today, but something really interesting happened to me at the gym. Today is Wednesday, so it was Monday. Something really interesting happened. So I do this thing when I go to the gym where I um, I put my water bottle and my little workout book down, and then I lift the weights, and then I walk around for three minutes. That's my rest, and I come back at exactly at the three-minute mark, and I do my next set. Well, while I was walking around in between one of these set breaks, some um, older gentleman in his 50s, decided to come over and, and start using the apparatus that I was on. And when I walked up and he was fully there, I just stood right there in front of him and, you know, I could tell this guy was not going to be a friendly interaction by his initial facial expression. And as he's taken out his earbud, he's just like, what do you want? And I was like, um, obviously, you didn't see all my gear here. I was, I was working out on this apparatus. Uh, well, you walked away from it. In the gym, that means it's open. I'm like, well, not really. I had all my stuff here, and I walk around for three minutes in between my set breaks. And he's like, you're being a dick. And I'm like, I didn't think I was going to be anything more than just letting you know that I had been using this apparatus. I did say apparatus a lot. And he's like, it doesn't matter what you think. And he just puts his earbuds back on, and he's like, I'll be done when I'm done. And it was very interesting to feel what I felt in that moment. Um, one, one, you know, the knee-jerk reaction is to get aggressive in that situation, um, at least for me, maybe not for everybody else. Maybe other people would get super timid. They may not even gone up to the guy, but I was like, my stuff was right here. I mean, literally, he had to push my stuff out of the way to, in order to put his stuff down. And I do normally put the water bottle on the 
seat. So it does signify that someone's there. This time I had left the water bottle um, on the apparatus itself. Like it was literally up on this little shelf. Not important, or maybe you think it is. But what is, is that my initial, like, I could feel the rage coming through me and I just, and I, and I could just tell that I wanted to snap and like yell at this guy. Why, why are you being so rude? Why are you taking this? Like, why are you got to be such a dick? Like, can we just, just, can you just talk to me like a normal person? If I was a gentleman, well, I guess I wouldn't be a gentleman (laughs) based on what I'm getting ready to say. If I was a different person who felt that respect was owed me, then I could easily see where I would have felt disrespected in this conversation and would have done something more aggressive. And I have this thing, and I've talked about it in the shows previously, where I caused a car accident when I was like 22 years old. And ever since then, I've had a filter on my anger, on my rage. And it doesn't, it's not like it doesn't exist. I absolutely can know what anger and rage can feel like. I just can figure out a way to to cap it in the moment and then express it some other time, yell into a pillow or go into the office and scream or push ups or something. I mean, hell, I'm at a gym. So it wasn't too hard to get rid of the anger. If I was a person who allowed being disrespected to affect me negatively, then this could have gone really bad. This could have gone sideways really quick. And, you know, what, and as I'm thinking about this, and of course the car accident immediately pops up. And then, you know, that time I was dating a a woman and her ex-boyfriend came around and basically, you know, started screaming at me, kicked me down the stairs, kicked me down the stairs as he held onto the guardrails. These are two very vivid memories I have. And because I've made these memories so vivid, it allows me not to allow my, it allows me not to have my anger take over me. And I think this is extremely cool to be able to talk about with those, with y'all out there. Because I think we know what anger feels like. We know what rage feels like. We have absolutely know what disrespect feels like. And in these moments, when things like this happen, I'm just extremely mindful to just cap it in the moment and realize that nothing good is going to come from being aggressive with this person. I was assertive, which is a speaking way. There's, there's, there's passive, passive, aggressive, um, aggressive, and assertive. And assertive is when you let your needs be known, but you don't push them on anybody else. Um, that's assertive. Aggressive is generally what a lot of people in society are doing with their words, with their body language. It's like, you don't, you don't respect me. You don't believe in what I believe in. I'm going to scream at you until you do. Being aggressive with that guy wasn't going to give me any kind of positive outcome. If he just stood up and been like, what? And then what? We're supposed to start pushing each other around a bunch of a gym equipment. One of us stumbles, hits our head. Now what are we going to do? One of us is mortally wounded while the other one's going to jail, right? We get up, we start yelling and screaming at each other. And next thing you know, they're, they're taking away both of our gym memberships. And now I can't work out there anymore. So now my life from this moment on is going to be massively inconvenienced simply because I can't go to the gym that's seven minutes away from my house because I let some guy who clearly wasn't having a good day get me to not have a good day, to take me sideways. And next thing I know, my life has to be affected by this person for more than just this one minute and a half interaction. So I'm bringing this up because I think there's opportunities in our lives for us to figure out ways to cap our anger, to cap our negative emotions in the moment and step away 
and say, not, this is not what I'm doing. I am not going to do this. I have definitely daydreamed about <laughs> what fighting this guy could have looked like or what pushing each other or what yelling at each other would have gotten. And none of them turn out well. And in that moment, I was able to stop myself on a dime, not raise my voice, not say something mean. In fact, I, I was very mindful of what I said, and it was extremely polite. Um, not overly polite, but polite in as much as like, there's no way I'm going to let this person get me to go sideways right now. He wanted to act the way that he wanted to act, and I have no idea what was going on in his life. I have no idea what he had experienced that day that caused him to react that way with me. I'd never even seen him at the gym before, and I'm very good with faces at that gym, so I may never see him again. It may have just been whatever. He might have had argument at work, argument at home, may have gotten cut off, and maybe somebody almost wrecked into his car, and he's just super amped up. All he wanted to do was get a quick workout in, and now this punk is walking over telling him that he took his machine. I have no idea. So I will just assume that in that moment, that was the best decision he could make. Push my stuff out of the way, take over the machine, and just do what he wanted to do. And when I approached him and he didn't want to be fucked with, then that's just the way that it went down. All in all, it doesn't really matter. I can make up reasons why he disrespected me, or I can make up reasons why I thought he was having a tough day and it was just best that I let him have that moment. He was literally done with the machine like a minute later, by the way. It wasn't like I had to stand around for 20 minutes. I mean, literally, I just went to another machine, did a set, and he was already done. So it's like, whatever. Um, but there you go again. What if I start off a whole commotion over a machine that thir- you know a minute later was free? And so these are things I want you to figure out for yourself is when you start to feel that rage, that anger to pop up and come through, I want you to be able to step back. And it takes practice. This is not something that I was adept at when I first got sober. I could pop off. I've popped off. I've gotten fired from jobs. I've had friendships end. I've had relationships end because I will say something mean or cruel in the moment that you just can't take back. And in this situation, there was not going to be anything that was going to be said between the two of us that was not going to end poorly. There was just not. This guy wasn't going to turn on ahead and, and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to take your machine. Look, I got like one set left. I'll be done in like a minute. Can I just finish this out? Oh, yeah, no, no problem. No problem. That's how 99% of these conversations at the gym go. This was one that didn't go that way. But I didn't get angry with him. I didn't push the confrontation further. I was, I was, to me, in that moment, I wasn't even the better man. I wasn't even the bigger man. I was just adulting 101. Nothing good's going to come from this, so walk away. I want to encourage you all to do the same. When you feel the rage monster, when you feel the heat, when your ears start to light up and you're just ready to say some, give somebody a tongue lashing or you want to start clenching up your hands with something, you know, you're, you start daydreaming about ways you could hurt that person or ruin them, just realize that everybody has their own unique experience in life. You, I have no idea what that person was going through. I'm not the judge, jury, and executioner. Right, it is, I mean, You could have told me that that person just stole 100,000 people's 401ks. I'm not the person to punish him for that by yelling at him at the gym. I'm not going to go out there and try to find out who he is and slander him on social media. It, it, that moment was that moment, and it's done. I don't Because I didn't push the moment, because I didn't allow it to escalate, I don't ever have to think about this person again. I won't remember his face. I've actually made a point of deleting it. 
I've actually made a point of diffusing the picture of that encounter in my head. And this is some of the stuff I teach in my NLP classes. Real quick way you can do that is literally when you picture something that makes you angry, you know, generally it's going to have a lot of color. It's going to be a little bit bright. Um, it's going to be very focused. It's gonna, So just drain the color out of it, turn it black and white, then just turn the dial down so the damn thing's damn near black right? Fuzzy it up some, and then just push that picture away. And you can do all of this in your mind. Take out the color, make it darker, make it fuzzy, push it away. Push it away so far that it's just a little black dot out there in outer space, and then just pop the little black dot and watch it just explode into ashes. And then just do this over and over and over and over again until you've drained the color out, you've turned it black, you've made it fuzzy, and it's just, it's gone. It's just gone. You could make it fuzzy, then drain out the color, then turn it black, then push it away. Any variation of that's going to work. The important thing is that you just take that picture that's so in your head, just fuzzy it up, blacken it up, drain the color out, push it away. Drain the color out, turn it fuzzy, black and white, just drop it back all the way down to dark like it's in a room. It's a bright room, make it fuzzy, drain out the color, turn it black, push it away. Make it fuzzy, turn down the color, make it black, push it away. Just do it over and over and over again. And I can assure you, you will feel physiologically different when you go to picture that thing that previously was making you angry or upset, and it changes. So all of that conversation to get to the, to, to get to the main point of this episode for today is that everyone is doing the best they can with the resources they have available to them at the time. This is a presupposition that I teach in my neuro-linguistic programming class, and I think it's extremely beneficial to us now that everybody is doing the best they can with the resources they have available to them right now. You were doing the best you could back when you were actively in addiction. You did the best you could with the resources you had at the time. Right, you wanted to mute your emotions, so you got intoxicated. You did. You, you somebody hurt your feelings. You yelled and screamed at them. You did something behind their back. You did the best you could at the time to fulfill your six human needs: certainty, variety, love and connection, um, significance, growth, and contribution. These are your six human needs. They are the undercurrent for every decision that you're making. Right, whether it's Tony Robbins, whether it's Maslow, whether it's Dilt, it doesn't matter whose pyramid or whose hierarchy or whose strategy you want to work for this. That's what you're seeking to fulfill, and you are doing the best you could with the resources you had at the time. At the time, the best resource that guy had sitting there on that machine was to tell me that nobody cares what I think, that he'll be done when he damn well pleases, and that I walked away, so therefore it's his. Okay. That's the resources he decided to use in that moment. He decided to use animosity and anger. He could have just as easily chosen uh, friendliness and kindliness. He could have. Hey, man, I'm just I'm going to be done in a second. Would you mind if I finish? Oh, I'm so sorry. Is it cool if I finish? Hey, I'm so sorry. Get up, walk away. A lot of different ways that could have played out. But in that moment, the best resources he had was animosity and anger. Right? That's a, that's a bummer. That could have been a completely different interaction. We could have turned into buddies. You'd have been like, oh man, I'm so sorry. Here, let me just finish up real fast. Hey, I love do I love working on back too. What you know, what back exercise are you doing today? And before you know it, we're sharing back exercises. Who knows? But instead it went, you know, animosity and anger. He's not my enemy. I've deleted his face from my brain. 
doesn't mean my brain won't see him the next time and all of a sudden there'll be an anchor, there'll be a cue, and all of a sudden I'll see this guy's face and, I'll be, and all of a sudden I'll feel warm. Probably some rage, anger will come back and I'll be like, that's the dude. <laughs> that's the dude who was a dick about the back machine. All right, great. Fuzzy it up, drain out the color, turn it black, push it away. Pop it like a little bubble, let it explode into ashes. And it is what it is right? Your brain will set anchors. You'll walk down a certain hallway, you'll turn down a certain street, and all of a sudden you'll get a craving, right? That's just a cue. That's just an activation of a pattern that you've already established within your mind. Back then, you were doing the best you could with the resources you had, right? So if that meant getting drugs from this certain person down this certain street, one day you turn down that street and it's years later and all of a sudden you're just like, oh my God, I need some cocaine. And you have no idea why that came out of, you feel like that just came out of nowhere, but it didn't. Your brain recognized the street, even though it was way back in the unconscious mind, it had no problem immediately being cued off. This is the street I used to turn down in order to turn left, then right, then left, and boom, there was cocaine. It happens. This is why you have to be extremely diligent to change these cues. When you feel a craving coming on, it's not even that it comes on, a craving fucking hits you, right? It's not that it came out of nowhere as much as it's got triggered out of nowhere. Like it, it's already, it didn't come out of anywhere, it's in your brain, but it got triggered and you weren't expecting it. So next thing you know, you're craving some booze, you're craving some drugs, you're craving yelling at somebody, right? For all I know, some big burly dude a year ago screamed at this guy for taking a machine and he told himself, anytime somebody does that to me, I'm going to stand up for myself. That could have been a huge moment for him. That could have been a humongous moment for that guy to stand up to me and say, no, my machine. I have no idea. He was doing the best he could with the resources he had at the time and I have no idea his model of the world. I have no idea what his point of view is other than that he said, you walk away from a machine, you've given it up. That's not the case. <laughs> I, my, I, in fact, I remember the sentence I said to him was, um, "No, I actually walk around for my three-minute rest time. I just don't sit on the. I just don't sit at the machine, and th- which is, that's literally what I do. I I can't sit down. I, it's time to walk. It's time to get some steps in between. But regardless, he was doing the best he could with the resources he had. I was doing the best I could with the resources." I had, I didn't raise my voice. I didn't get angry. I stepped back and said, okay, just took my stuff and went over to a different machine. So I wasn't going to let it escalate. So where in your life, where you might have behaved one way then, are you now going to behave a different way now? Part of my presentation that I give to, um, to the addiction recovery centers is this, uh, is a, it's like addiction is, sobriety is, recovery is. And I'm not going to get all into it now, but one of the things that I really talk about a lot is that addiction is, and that would be screaming at a guy on a machine. That'd be yelling at your kids about dropping the backpack on the floor. That'd be about, um, you know, showing up late to work or um, not paying your bills on time. Like that's addiction behavior. That's things that are no longer serving you. Right, that's addiction is those things. Addiction is also drinking and using drugs, absolutely, but addiction is also the yelling, the screaming, the getting angry, the not stepping up to your own personal responsibilities. Right? Those are also behaviors that you potentially, I'm not putting you in a box here, but potentially any behavior that was your norm when you were an addict that was definitely going against who you want to be in sobriety and recovery, that becomes your addiction is. 
Addiction for me is screaming at some guy about at a machine. That's something I would totally have done in my 20s. I would have totally gotten in that guy's face. Now, so and sobriety would have been just me grabbing my books and my bottle of water and just walking away and saying nothing, but then it would have eaten me up. I at least needed to stand up for myself. I wanted to say something like, hey, I was here before. Like, I'm just letting you know that you know, you jumped in. I've, I'm on a very strict time limit here. Um, the, the, my little timer now says three minutes and 32 seconds. I'm already 30 seconds late from starting, right? Recovery was just simply saying, hey, I'm not sure you noticed, but my stuff was already here. I was using this machine. Now, regardless of where that conversation went, I had already stepped into the recovery version of me. I was doing the best I could in that moment with the resources I had. Stand up and speak my voice. This was something I did not always do in addiction. Or in, in addiction, I often would either explode on somebody or say nothing, and that's not who I am anymore. I can at least simply say, "Hey, this is what was happening, and this is what you did from my perspective." And of course, he decided to get um, aggressive and show animosity, and that was another chance for my addiction to show up. I could have screamed, I could have yelled, I could have made a big scene, I could have even be, turned it into a physical altercation. That's addiction. That's my addiction voice and addiction, Jesse, trying to step up. No more. That that person's in the back of the bus. They're watching everything happen. Once in a while, they try to sprint up the aisle, (laughs) try to take over the wheel. No, 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 no. Sobriety puts their arm out and says, nope, nope, we're good. We'll just take our water bottle and our little workout book and we'll walk away. And recovery says, hmm. We actually should at least say something and give this person an opportunity to create a conversation and a connection here. It went sideways. So when he started showing anger, recovery was able to step in. I used a calm voice, spoke eloquently considering the circumstances, and ultimately took my stuff and walked away. But that's, to me, my addiction recovery, being level-headed being emotionally grounded and responding rather than reacting. And we've talked about this on the show plenty of times. There's actually whole episodes on respond and react and emotionally grounded and emotionally triggered. In fact, there's whole lessons on it in the hub. So this is definitely something that we talk about a lot. So that's pretty much the gist of today's episode is that people are doing the best they can with the resources they have. You were doing the best you could then And now you're doing a different version of the best you can now. What you did then might be perceived as bad based on your current viewpoint of yourself, but that's because you're looking at it through this lens of a newer, more enlightened, or more aware, healthier version. To go back in time, in your mind, and flog yourself and beat yourself up for having done what you did then is not benefiting you. We talk about this when we discuss trauma. Go back to the past, the traumatic moment, take the lesson, take the strength that you can from it, and leave the traumatic moment in the past where it belongs with the sadness and the suffering and the heartache. Leave the negative emotions back there with that traumatic moment. Bring the strength, bring the wisdom, bring the lesson forward with you. Notice how differently you are now than you were then. And we do the same thing whenever we're saying to ourselves, I can't believe I did this. How do I do that? When you want to start beating yourself up, start experiencing it through this, through this principle, through this presupposition that everybody's doing the best they can with the resources they have at the time. 
That's what you did then. Now you're doing something different. In order to get to where you're at now, you had to go through that. It's not saying that if you would have gone through something different, you still couldn't have gotten the same lesson and shown up here. But look, there's a what are the 101 ways of skinning a cat. There are infinite ways for you to get to be this healthier, enlightened, better version of yourself. But your path was the path. If you're going to constantly go inside your head and whip your own ass over the decisions that you made, it's for what purpose? If you are still doing that and you keep going back to the same thing over and over and over and over again, you have not taken the lesson, you have not taken the strength, and you have not taken the wisdom. There's a reason why your unconscious and your conscious mind keep having a meetup at that memory. Because they both agree you have not taken something from it that is there for you to take. The lesson, the wisdom, the experience. There is something there. So when you go back to this memory that you keep reliving, ask yourself, ask your unconscious mind. Unconscious mind, I task you to. You should write that down on a whole page. Unconscious mind, I task you to. And then what do you task it to do? Unconscious mind, I task you to. Go back to this memory of me stealing my fraternity brother's girlfriend in 1995 and show me the lesson and the wisdom and the experience I'm supposed to take from this so I can make peace with it and all can be forgiven. At least with me. I'm never going to, I don't even know how to find that guy anymore, so I don't know how to apologize to him. But if I ever come across him, I will apologize. But for me right now, so I can stop beating myself up over a decision I made in the fall of 1995, almost 30 years ago, can you please show me the lesson and the wisdom and the experience that I'm supposed to be taking from this? If you keep going back to the same memory over and over and over again and whipping your ass, even if you've done this 20 times and you think, I've absolutely taken the lesson, I've taken the wisdom, I've taken the experience, and I've figured it out, I'm going to leave the negative emotions back there with this memory, with this trauma, with this suffering. I'm going to leave it there. And then you do all that and you come back up and you've got this newfound strength and this wisdom and you see the experience differently and your brain still wants you to go back there, then there's still more for you to take from it. Because think about when there's a memory of an experience you've had and there's no longer a, a lesson or an experience or wisdom to take from it, you don't think about it. There are billions of memories that we could be going back to on a day-to-day basis, and yet we don't. But we seem to circle around the same 10, 20, 30, don't we? It's like it's our greatest hits, right? And anything can cue that off. Somebody could be like, oh man, you know, that just wasn't a very good speech. And next thing you know, I'm thinking about when I was nine years old and, you know, I got a A plus on my social studies test and my dad didn't even care. And he looked at it and he's like, uh, I see there was some extra credit. Why didn't you get that? This should be 105, not a hundred. Well, you should try harder next time, right? It's like anything could possibly cue off that memory. Having that memory cued off doesn't necessarily necessitate that there is more of a lesson and wisdom to be taken there, but it does tell me that that is an anchor point and that whenever I get triggered or cued, I'm going to go back to that. So now I can say, okay, well, when I did come back here last time and I did take the wisdom, what was the wisdom? Was that, you know, I did the best I could then for what I knew about that stuff and I'm pretty happy with my 
A plus on the test. And just because he wasn't, he's he was experiencing my test and me in that moment through his own filter, and I can't control his filter. I can only control what I think I did at the time and how I choose to see myself now, um, having lived through that experience then. And something could cue it off again and again. Then what is the wisdom? What is the experience? How can I reframe what's going on in my mind so that it, it's more beneficial to me? And if you and I'm no doubt you've got your greatest hits, no doubt. Then sit down and go back to that memory and look at it instead of it being from your own eyes. If that's how you're experiencing it, experience it as a third person. Experience it as a fly on the wall. Experience it as a, as a photographer would or a reporter would. What is it that's actually going on? What are some of the things that you aren't noticing that happened because you've been reliving that experience through your own eyes over and over and over and over again? Where's the lesson? Where's some wisdom you can take from it? What's the experience that happened then that's going to be beneficial for you to really embrace so that your current self can really seize that memory for what it was meant to be, which was just a lesson? guidance for how to do something now. It's all going to be run through your own filters and processes. I just can implore you over and over and over again to understand that you're doing the best you can with the resources you have. If you want to do better, then you begin to do things differently. You can go learn. You can try something different, say something different, be something different. What is it? Know better, do better, be better. Right? Once you know better, then you'll do better, then you'll be better. But better is completely subjective to your perspective. And what's better in your eyes might be worse than somebody else's. And what's worse in your eyes might be better in somebody else's. A quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, Geno Smith, who's had a pretty rough career, but who's doing very well this season, came out and said, you know, my hard times would be somebody else's dream. And I just think that's a really amazing perspective for somebody to have um, who's gone through what he has considering the amount of publicity he got coming out of college. To be able to say, you know what? My hard times would be somebody else's dream. That's an amazing perspective. My hard times could be somebody else's dream. Somebody else's hard times might be my dream. I don't know. I just know what I'm experiencing and I did the best I could then and I'm doing the best I can now. And if I don't look back at a year, two, three at some of this stuff and say, you know what? I could have done that a little bit differently right there. Could have been a little bit better. Could have done a little bit more desirable action right there. Then it's almost like I don't feel like I'm growing. Like if I can't look back and find a couple things that I could be working on from things I did a year or two ago, a month ago, <laughs> there's things I could, I have things about that argument, conversation. I'm not even going to frame it as an argument. There's things about that conversation on Monday I could have done better. It's the self-awareness to run these things through my filter and say, okay, what can I do differently next time in order for it to be experienced differently? Other people may not have their experience of it changed, but how can I shift my experience of it? Because it's inside my head that I'm living this moment again over and over and over again. I did the best I could then. I'm doing the best I can now. And I and I have no doubt that at some point in the not so distant future, I'm going to look back and say, could have done that just a little bit better then. And that's awesome. 
Because then I'm like, okay, I'm growing. But if I'm whipping my ass and beating myself up and going back to that memory over and over and over again and just knocking myself out, then that's not beneficial. Because I'm too busy whipping my ass and beating myself up over it that it pay attention to the lesson. And now I'm killing myself twice. I would rather not beat myself up, step into that moment, relive it in my head, take the lesson and the wisdom and bring it back and turn it into strength. And I implore you to do the same. All right, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. As always, every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine, Glow On. I will see you next week. Bye-bye. 